Summer. People just love summer. Dawn loves the heat, loves to play tennis in hot, hot weather. In June, we moved one of our workouts from the gym to a local park. We meet and run. We break it up with sets of burpees, prisoner squats, push-ups, and lunges. We run, do a surge of speed, then stop for another round of burpees and all the other stuff. We do 10 rounds. Takes about an hour or so. At the end, we're sweaty and tired. We stop at a local cafe for some espresso and mochas and perfectly toasted bagels with a thick layer of cream cheese. We say, we earn this. We've had a number of people join us for these workouts, all of them very fit. A couple of marine recruiters, buddies from the gym, a boxer, a soccer player, and a Latino who just loves to run. And of course, our friend Mary, who's been working out with us for years, never misses a day if she's in town. This is what I love about summer. The mornings will get cooler over the next month. It's already been down to close to 50 degrees. Someone will end up saying, it's too cold out here. Let's move back into the gym. And that will be the end of summer for me. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson. Some people around here say, oh, you're the soap guy. Well, that's right. I'm the founder of Anashira. I've personally designed the recipe for every one of the soaps that I sell. And whether we like it or not, summer is on the way out. You deserve a treat after a day working or exercising or after just laying by the pool. Do your spouse or your good friend a favor and shower with a bar of Anashira soap. You may find out after you rinse and dry off and get dressed that you hear these famous words. God, you smell good. What are you wearing? Oh, if you prefer no scent, buy some wild oat soap. You smell like a clean human being when you're done. Take advantage of the last four weeks of our special discount for summer. Enter discount code SUMMERSTORIES16. That's SUMMERSTORIES16 altogether. It will give you a 16% discount on your whole purchase. It's only good for another couple of weeks, so get cooking. When we last spoke, I was leaving the town of Passau and heading to West Berlin on the train. Let me carry on in this week's Stories from Anashira. chose the town of Passau to be the site of one of their Goethe Institutes. The town is beautiful, located on three rivers, the Donau, that's the Danube, the Inn, and the Ilse, but it is also in deepest Bavaria, and Bavarian German is very difficult to speak and harder to understand, even for a native-born German from the north, where they speak Hochdeutsch, High German. You can speak with residents of Passau, but it was as if you were both speaking a language that was not your own. So I was happy to be finally off on the train to Berlin. I had not crossed on a train through East Germany before, but it was pretty much like crossing through on a bus. The same East German border guards, guard dogs, 
and passport control, entering and leaving the DDR. I had a similar talk with my group of students as I'd had with my groups of kids two years before, telling them to take this whole business seriously as these East Germans were not fooling around. We traveled to the only train station in West Berlin, the Bahnhof Berlin Zoologischer Garten, known as Bahnhof Zoo, the Berlin Zoological Garden Station. It was located in the center of West Berlin next to the Zoologic Gardens, the famous shopping street, the Kurfürstendamm or Kudamm. The train stopped and we got out. I was shocked to see that the main train station for West Berlin had only two platforms and four tracks. My God, this was the capital of the country for years. We took our luggage and got on a bus that had been chartered for us to our housing. It was about a five-minute ride. Our student housing unit was known as Studentenwohnheim Sigmundshof, Student Housing Sigmundskort. It's a bit of a mouthful. We got out, entered to register for our rooms. It was a unique living arrangement. Housing was only available for full-time students at Berlin universities. Each person had a room about nine feet long, nine feet wide, a single bed, a desk, a small closet, one chair, and a window that was wall to wall and ceiling to floor. It had a door that opened up, but it didn't go out to anything. It went out to like, it was like a railing. So this was our air conditioning. These digs were not luxurious, but our possessions all fitted into one suitcase. It was fine. I looked out the window and saw that I had a beautiful view of the zoologic gardens, downtown Berlin. On the other side of the building was the Spree River. We were a 30-second walk from the S-Bahn, the subway, which got us anywhere in Berlin. It had a large menza downstairs. That's a canteen, which had a grill that specialized in fried, very thin steaks and fried liver with a side of French fries for about 75 cents. Our floor had 24 rooms. We shared a common living room and kitchen. Each person had a single cupboard assigned to him and a small cage in the common refrigerator. There was a stove with four burners. There was one bathroom unit on each side of the floor. A woman's bathroom with sinks and a man's unit also with sinks and between them a common shower area. I didn't mention that we had women and men living in this unit, intermingled throughout the floor. I found out quickly that before you enter the showers, you'd best call out, Ist die Dusche frei? Is the shower free? Otherwise, you might walk into a naked woman, as I did by mistake. I got my stuff settled and went down to the menza for dinner. A piece of meat, some Rätisch Salat, radish salad, and a mound of fries. I sat with one of my neighbors, a man by the name of Fritz Weselow. He gave me the lowdown on life in this unit and about Berlin. Ernst, everyone here is a student, or at least registered as a student, 
or a girlfriend or a boyfriend of a student. There is a law in West Berlin. The police cannot set foot on university grounds. And since we're part of that, they cannot come in here even to pursue a suspected criminal. I was shocked. Not even if someone is smoking pot. Not for pot, hashish, any drugs. You'll see we have a life that adults can be jealous of as long as we stay in school. Now, we are having huge demonstrations in Berlin, and we have for the last year. Last year, the Kudam was a center of huge protests against the war in Vietnam, the Springer Press, the Soviet invasion of Prague, the dictatorship in Greece, German emergency laws, and then there were the protests against the protesters. Many West Berliners who remember the airlift that broke the Soviet blockade of West Berlin by the Americans and the English, and Kennedy's support, don't want their reputation tarnished by these young hooligans. There were a lot of outraged Berliners fighting because protesters had appropriated socialist saints like Lenin and Marx, Rosa Luxemburg, and the Che Guevara. Now, Rudi Dutschka was the most prominent figure of the opposition. He was articulate, a real leader, and he was the target of an assassination attempt. He has just been shot in the head several months before by some right-wing thug from Bavaria. The protesters coined a phrase about the attempted assassination. Bild hat mitgeschossen. Bild pulled the trigger too. Bild was the extreme newspaper of the super-conservative Sprenger organization. Fritz explained, it was ready to explode. The protesters marched on the Axel Springer headquarters. They turned over trucks and cars and burned them. Attacked the building, but did not go in. The next day, Willy Brandt, the vice chancellor, urged peace in a speech in front of the Reichstag building. We Americans remember Willy Brandt as the Burgermeister of West Berlin. He was the face of West Berlin, strong figure led them through the first decades when the Russians wanted to starve out the city and take over the West. Vili was famous for standing next to John Kennedy when he gave his famous speech in front of the wall and said, Ich bin ein Berliner. I am a Berliner. A giant crowd. Close your eyes and you can still hear the cheers for Kennedy. After Duchka was shot, Vili said, we have to fight for peace and understanding, not only with other countries, but amongst ourselves. We must question our views. Machen wir die Fenster auf, um frische Luft hineinzulassen. Aber die Fensterscheiben können heil bleiben. So I say to you, let us throw open the windows and let fresh air come in. But do not shatter the window panes. Fritz smiled. You didn't think you'd be coming to such a crazy place, eh? Rudy is still alive, but he's not doing well, Fritz said. In fact, he died 10 years later from his wounds. He was only 39. I needed to digest all that for a while. Fritz saw I was suffering a bit of a cultural overload and said, Come on, I'll buy you a beer. We walked to the side of the Menza and down a flight of stairs. 
I could hear rock and roll music blasting through the walls. I knew that song. How many more times? On Led Zeppelin's first album. Driving beat that great Jimmy Page guitar riff. The album had only come out in the U.S. in January. And at the end of March in the U.K., how did they have it out here behind the Iron Curtain already? Now, this album had not been received positively. Rolling Stone wrote that the band offered little that its twin, the Jeff Beck group, didn't say as well or better three months ago. They called Page a limited producer and criticized his writing skills. It called Plant as foppish as Rod Stewart. Because of this bad review, Led Zeppelin never talked to the Rolling Stone during their career. But those friends of mine who loved driving rock and roll loved the Zeppelin from day one. We opened the doors and walked into the beer cellar, the beer cellar. Not too big, dark, with an excellent sound system, full of people, young people. Fritz, will sign pills? Yeah, bitte. Do you want a Pilsner? Please. They weren't serving German Pilsner, but one from Czechoslovakia. Pilsner Urquell. This beer was so good, the Germans drank it with great gusto. I seldom saw another non-German beer served on tap in all of my time in Germany. Fritz introduced me to a couple of his pals, and it was an excellent first day in Berlin. And I'd not yet been away from the Zygmuntshof. I shouldn't have stayed out as late as I did because the next morning, we Americans all headed to the university for our feared DSH exams. We had to pass this exam before we could matriculate. We took the S-Bahn to the campus, found our way to the exam hall, and we took written and oral exams here, a two-hour ordeal. Then we would meet individually with a panel to test our speaking skills. It took all day and we waited for the results to be posted before we returned. Good news, we all passed except for two. They could matriculate provisionally and had to return in four weeks to retake the exam. We rode the S-Bahn back home, and I ran into Fritz. He introduced me to my neighbor on the other side, young guy named Rudy Zellner. Nice-looking kid, big head of hair. He looked like he could have been an English rocker. Hey, Fritz, good news. I passed my DSH. Say a good answer. Wir müssen feiern. Very good, Ernest. We must celebrate. So, we took Rudy down with us. More rock and roll. More Pilsner Urquell. Talked about music. Questions about Led Zeppelin that I couldn't answer. I just didn't know. They just started recording. I looked at Fritz. There was a difference between him and Rudy and me. I guess that Rudy was close to my age, 21. But Fritz seemed quite a bit older. I didn't want to pry, but a couple of Pilsner Urquells loosened my tongue. Fritz, out of curiosity, how many years have you lived in Sigmundshof? Mal denken, zwei, dreizehn Jahre. Let me think, 12, 13 years. There's no limit on how long you can live here? No, as long as you are a full-time student with passing grades, you can stay. Rudy saved me from having to ask the next question.
Wie alt bist du denn, Fritz? How old are you anyway? He asked Fritz. Fritz didn't seem to mind. I'm 42, he said. I was shocked. 42? 42, I said. Yeah, I took a few years and traveled. Started here late. Now I'm doing postgraduate work on my PhD. It takes time. I felt like saying, man, if you don't get cracking, you'll be retired before you ever get a job. But I didn't. I was lucky. We had an Iranian, a Spaniard, a couple of East German escapees from the East, but no Americans on my floor. I didn't want to spend a lot of time speaking English. So I went the next day to finish matriculation and register for my classes. I intended on taking a relatively light load. I didn't want to be tied to my books night and day. It's funny. I told you before how I hated political science, and I did. But there was an overlying struggle in Berlin. It was the dialectic between socialism, really Marxism, and capitalism. We were confronted with this conflict between those two every day. You couldn't avoid it in the newspapers or the news, in protests. Of course, we Americans back home had a similar conflict with the war in Vietnam. But it wasn't on us all day, every day. There was a professor at the Free University, Richard Leuventhal. He was a Jewish intellectual who was forced to emigrate to England by the Gestapo. As a young man, he was an active socialist. He helped publish the International Socialist Forum in London. He published a book which argued that it was necessary for the Soviet Union to be given the lion's share of the responsibility of governing Germany after the war, as this would be the best means of ensuring the triumph of the German left. He disavowed this position later and said the Western powers should be responsible for rebuilding Germany. They were most likely to ensure a democratic society. And after Leuventhal's return from exile, he spent the rest of his life researching totalitarianism, national socialism, and political developments in Eastern Europe. I signed up for one of his classes called World Communism. The Collapse of a Secular Faith. I sat in a lecture hall with 300 students, many of whom were avowed Marxists, yes, in West Berlin, who disagreed with most of his beliefs, but he held us all spellbound. It was all so problematic, so complicated, so different. So I attended classes, collected my very small scholarship every month, but I needed more money to live a little more comfortably. Now, at that time, many young people were leaving West Berlin. It was just depressing to them to be surrounded by a wall and barbed wire. They weren't there for just a year like I, but forever. And there were many more jobs and more opportunity in West Germany. So they were leaving. This created a worker shortage. At this time, thousands of Turks came to Berlin looking for work. Actually, all over Germany, there was a shortage of workers. Germany brought in thousands of people from Turkey, Spain, Morocco, and other countries for two-year stays. They were called Gastarbeiter, guest workers. They worked in mines and factories. 
doing jobs that many Germans didn't want to do. In West Berlin, there were also many illegal workers as well, people who had arrived in as tourists and stayed and tried to find jobs. I had a guy living on my floor, a student from Spain. His name was Jose Otero. He'd been there a couple of years. We hung out together for a while and became friends. I knew Jose had a couple of part-time jobs, and I knew he had an Arbeitserlaubnis, a work permit. One night we're talking, and I asked Jose if he knew of any part-time work for me. Do you have an Arbeitserlaubnis? He asked me. No, I don't have permanent residence. I only have a student visa. Didn't allow me to work. I work for a moving company. The guy has a truck and does small jobs. I'll see if he'll put you on. So that weekend, I started work as a mover, working illegally, not even a Gastarbeiter. Residential moves. Those old buildings in Berlin were a pain. Narrow staircases, multiple floors, and those people had heavy furniture, oak tables, wood chests and bookshelves. No elevators in those buildings. Carrying stuff down was hard, but carrying stuff up was brutal. And neither Jose nor I was a big guy. We'd be huffing and puffing. There'd often be things that the client didn't want to take with him. Chairs, small tables, dishes. Jose and I were offered many of these things and took a few of them with us. We'd sell them for a few marks. So at the end of the shift, we get paid in cash and head home. Jose was a good guy, happy, funny. He had a positive view of his life. He was a typical Spaniard, loved to eat and loved to talk about food. He had blonde hair, long, and a long mustache like a Fu Manchu. One day I get a telegram. I'd never in my life received a telegram. I was afraid it was from home, telling me someone had died. My folks would send me a telegram. I hoped I didn't have a phone they could call. I opened the envelope tentatively, steeled myself as I read it. Ernie, stop. Arriving Berlin Bahnhof Zoo. Saturday. 1100 hours. Stop. Meet me if you can. Stop. Maria. What the hell? Maria? The girl from Colombia? Coming to Berlin? Probably to collect her debt. Well, I wasn't working on Saturday. I guessed I could meet her for a cup of coffee. I got to the station a little early and waited on the platform. The train rolls in and I see a small group get out of one of the cars. It was Maria and a group of other people, her Latin American friends. I walk up and say hello. She introduces me one by one to these people. Hello, this is so-and-so from Guatemala. This is his sister, so-and-so. And this is so-and-so from blah, blah, blah. Man, these people didn't even like Americans. What was I going to do with them? I needn't have worried. Maria said to them, well, I'm off with Ernie. I'll see you all later. She grabbed my arm, and we were off. So we had some coffee and walked through the tea garden. I really came to see you, she said. So we had a good time together. She ended up hanging around me for three days. 
What about your friends? Won't they wonder where you are? Ah, uh, they'll be okay, she said. They'll think you were kidnapped by the American imperialist. You hardly look like an imperialist, she said. She was right. My hair was pretty long. My beard was full and I dressed in clothes like those kids at Woodstock. She took me out to dinner and I took her to our beer keller to listen to music. It was time for her to head back to Paso. I walked her up to the platform and there were her friends staring daggers at me. There was an explosion of conversation in Spanish. I could tell it was something like, You just disappeared? You could have been dead. You could at least have let us know. It took me no time to skedaddle. Well, Maria, it's been great. See you sometime. Boom, and I was gone. I must admit I wasn't a great student in Berlin. Not that I didn't study on my own. I wasn't excited about formal classes. I did just enough so I could earn enough credits to keep my student deferment and keep out of the draft. But I did read a lot. Karl Marx, Che Guevara, his motorcycle diaries were much more interesting than his pamphlets, such as Mobilizing the Masses for the Invasion. I did enjoy his book, Reminiscences of the Cuban Revolutionary War. I read Ho Chi Minh's Selected Writings, 1920 to 1966, and much more. Many of these books I bought on trips to East Berlin at their big bookstore on Alexanderplatz. The prices were ridiculously low and it gave me something to spend my East Marks on when I crossed over. There were announcements everywhere for an anti-Vietnam War march to be held. It was to take place on the Kudam, the most luxurious shopping street in Berlin. It was called Berlin's Champs-Élysées. This was the same location where the protests had been held the year before, the avenue where Rudy had been shot. I went down with a couple of other American pals and my friend Jose. Man, I can't describe how crazy this was. Thousands and thousands of people, old and young. Signs of all sizes, pictures of the Che, Ho Chi Minh, North Vietnamese flags, pictures of Rosa Luxemburg, Lenin, signs against the dictatorship in Greece, against Axel Springer Publishing, President Johnson. One side read, USA, war criminals out of Vietnam, red flags, Viet Cong flags, flags of the DDR. It was something I'd never seen. So many groups upset at so many things in the world. It was at this time in East Berlin they were preparing to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the establishment of the DDR. New construction at Alexanderplatz. The Russians and the regime wanted to look special for the world. They came out with a first color TV broadcast and TV set in East Germany. People lined up for blocks to get in and take a look at it. We heard news that the Rolling Stones were to give a free concert at the time of the anniversary. They'd be atop the 18-story Axel Springer Verlag building in West Berlin, which was right on the Berlin Wall. The music was to be amplified into East Berlin and into the West. 
Thousands of us hustled over to Kreuzberg, and thousands of East Berliners rushed to the other side of the death strip. But East German Fopos, the Volkspolizei, the feared police, put up barriers to keep them away. Barbed wire, they were there with guns, batons. We waited nothing. None of us reflected on why the Rolling Stones would choose Axel Springer's building for the site of their free concert. Springer's publishing company was further to the right than the Junta in Greece. It turned out to be a hoax. No Rolling Stones, no music, disappointed people on both sides of the wall. Life went on. I read and studied, made more friends. In December, I receive another mysterious telegram. Ernie, stop. Meet me in Paris on December 20th. Stop. My friend has flat at some address. Just off Avenue Foch. Stop. Please advise. Stop. Well, I knew about the Avenue Foch, and I figured that the holidays in Paris would be a nice change from feeling trapped in Berlin. Hey, sorry, I've gone over my time limit. I'll have to continue this story later. This is the last time I can tell you about my six goats. Why? Because I sold the two young females this week. We were all sad to see them go. But I didn't need them. Someone else did. The day before they left, I got up early in the morning, and I heard a goat calling from the top of their hill at the fence line. Uh-oh, I thought, one of those little goats is stuck in the fence again. I woke up dawn and said, can you ride over with Sam and me to the goats and bring your phone and shoot a couple videos of them? So she rode over with me and Sam. I wanted a record of all the goats together. It was strange because the five goats didn't all run up after me in a bunch, as they usually do. They wanted breakfast first. They did finally make their way up the mountain, and Dawn took a couple of videos. Go to our website, anashira.com, to check those out. Our very talented marketing, technical, artistic director, Cody Nations, has uploaded them. Check out those little rascals running around the mountain. Now it's only the two young Billies and Mom and Razzie. And those Billies aren't going to be around for long. Join me next time as I tell you about what I did with that invitation to Paris and more about my life on the island of West Berlin in the next episode of Stories from Anashira. Anashira.